0: Alright, welcome back to Healthspan. This is Michael. This week I'm starting a new book. I'm going to be discussing Dr. Michael Greger's How Not to Diet book. More specifically, his weight loss booster section. So similar to Ben Greenfield's book, this book is about 600 pages long. So I'm just going to be focusing on his weight loss booster section, which by itself is 268 pages. And before I begin, if you're enjoying this podcast, make make sure to leave a review, and I'll go ahead and leave my Instagram in the episode description if you want to leave me a comment or a suggestion. So this book is sort of a sequel or a follow-up to his How Not to Die book, which was one of the best books I've ever read. And in that book, it can kind of be summarized into three words, which is eat more plants. So what he basically does is he takes the top 10 leading causes of death in the United States, like coronary artery disease, diabetes, um, cancer, and Alzheimer's, and he shows how they can all be prevented with a plant-based diet. Now, this book is a little bit different. This book is about weight loss boosters. It talks about uh, the history of the obesity epidemic in the United States. It gives more recipes and tips and tricks on the food Dr. Michael Gregory suggests. Um, So it's a little bit more weight loss and diet oriented. So again, like I said, I'm just going to be focusing on his Weight Loss Boosters section. And this book by itself has over 5,000 references. So it's sort of hard to debate or argue that this book is not evidence-based. So a lot of the stuff we take we can read here, uh, we can take it with a grain of salt. But again, it's backed up by a lot of evidence. So again, over 5,000 references in this entire book. So what I'm going to do in this first episode is break it down into four different sections. Uh, The first section is going to be weighing yourself, the importance of weighing yourself. The second section is going to be the importance of AMP kinase activation and how to do it. Third third section is going to be about ways to suppress appetite. And I'm going to finish off with chronobiology, which is how our circadian rhythm affects metabolism and weight loss. So I'm going to begin with the weighing yourself section. So he begins with offering maximum nutrition with minimal calories. A diet centered around whole food plant-based is the best form of growth control. Whole food plant-based nutrition best checks off the criteria for the optimal slimming diet. It's the tried and true recipe with the most ideal weight loss diet ingredients. So why isn't this the end of the book? So that's the question he's asking. And he's stating that although we have a good foundation for our health and our overall longevity, which is this plant-based diet, he offers these ex- ex- a little bit more extension of you know, certain tips and tricks that we can supplement a healthy lifestyle. And we know that eliminating this obesity requires treating the cause, which is the underlying diet. But again, this section is for those who want this extra little bit of help. So again, I begin with this weighing yourself section. He puts here that what is the most effective obesity treatment ever published in the medical literature? That doesn't involve surgical fixes like jaw wiring. And this would be the Travose Behavioral Modification Program. And this was named after a program in Pennsylvania where the volunteers, uh, they would weigh themselves. And after two years on Weight Watchers, the average weight loss is about 6 pounds. But here in this Travose program, after two years, the average loss is about 39 pounds. And one of the techniques that this Travose program utilizes is this idea of, of course, it does the standard techniques like calorie cutting, exercise, uh, and weekly weigh-ins. Uh, so that that was an, an important intervention, that this they had these weekly weigh-ins. And this is what kind of sets it, set it apart from uh, some, some of these other programs. And self-monitoring, he puts here, is considered the cornerstone of behavioral change for weight loss. Without awareness of your progress, how can you even reach your goals, he puts here. So evidence has since accumulated suggests frequent weighing is actually a very safe and effective tool for weight control. And the National Weight Control Registry put here that, which is the largest study of individuals successful successful at long-term maintenance of weight loss, and of the thousands of registrants who on average lost about 70 pounds and kept it off 79%, weighed themselves on at least a weekly basis and we kind of go into this randomized control trial here he put rcts have shown that those assigned to daily weighing accompanied by weekly email messages tailored to the program lost more weight were better able to resist weight gain and also maintain more weight loss so not only did they lose weight but they were all also able to keep the weight off after the the program finished And he puts here that self weighing is really just a feedback tool to allow for personal accountability, and to offer reinforcement, which is can be both positive and negative, for whatever strategies are being employed. So, in in other words, weighing yourself it should be this feedback tool and a good gauge of how you're doing. For example, if you if you notice that a certain diet and a certain exercise program is causing you to lose weight, well, this is a good thing. So you can continuous be continuous on this program. And and keep on losing weight. But then again, if you're on a different program and have a different diet, you know this might not be best for you if you're not losing any weight. And he puts here that the evidence supporting frequent self weighing as a part of weight management interventions is now considered so strong that it's been incorporated into the official weight management guidelines put out by the Obesity Society, as well as the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology and the NIH National Institute of Health calls regular self-weighing, quote, crucial for long-term weight control. So, the question is also, how often should we weigh ourselves? He puts here that one study found that twice daily upon waking, and again, but right before bed, appears superior to once a day. And you may think that weighing yourself actually has this double-edged sword, and he does bring this up, like, does weighing yourself so much potentially put one at risk for depression and body image issues? And he puts here, he mentions multiple studies that although there may be a negative impact for normal weight adolescents, self-weighing among overweight and obese adults appears to actually improve psychological health and well-being. So it's actually the opposite of what you would think. It's actually improving psychological health and well-being, probably because they're seeing the number on the scale drop, they're becoming more positive, and uh, it's this positive cycle going on. So that's, that's weighing yourself, and the next section is about AMP kinase, uh, amping AMP kinase. So if you've listened to my other podcast, you know AMP kinase is one of my favorite topics. Uh, it's one of my favorite cell signals in the body, and he does a very good job of explaining what exactly AMP kinase is. So I mentioned a lot AMP kinase. It stands for adenosine monophosphate protein kinase. Now AMP comes from ATP. So ATP, you know, is the energy of it's the, it's the molecule that gives us energy. And when ATP gets broken down, it eventually forms AMP. So if you think about the ATP molecule, all the energy is between these phosphates, and when a phosphate phosphate bond gets cleaved, well, that's what really is releasing so much of the energy. And eventually, when two ATP or when two phosphate groups leave ATP, you get AMP, which is monophosphate. And AMP kinase is this type of enzyme. And what might be the function of the enzyme activated by AMP? He puts here, a buildup of AMP means the rechargeable battery is running low. It's akin to the fuel gauge in your car reading empty. As the needle creeps towards the E, what do you do? Add more fuel. But instead of having an extra gas can in your trunk, you may have junk in the trunk, fat stores on your body. So that's what AMPK does. It flips the switch in your body from storing fat to burning fat. And that's often why AMP kinase is not only known as your master energy center in your bodies, but also a fat controller. And there's certain ways to activate AMP activate kinase. Two of the most obvious are exercise and fasting, but we know metformin also activates AMP kinase. And we know AMP kinase does a lot more than just uh, burn fat. We know it's, in, it's involved in inhibiting gluconeogenesis, inhibiting glycogen synthesis, uh, like I mentioned, increased fatty acid oxidation, and it also is involved in increasing mitochondrial biogenesis, which is essentially the formation of extra mitochondria. So he puts here AMP kinase does just, can, doesn't just cause more fat to be shoveled into the furnace, it also causes more furnaces to be built. In other words, more mitochondria to be built. And AMP kinase he puts here activation could mimic caloric restriction, which is effectively fasting in a pill. And when we stop eating, our energy gets depleted, so AMP kinase is activated and switches us over to start burning through our own fat stores. And our fat stores can't last forever, uh, so in addition to tapping into our tummy fat, AMP kinase drives up to, drives us to eat more. To make up for the energy deficit, and one of the reasons AMP kinase, uh, one of the reasons we get hungry after our workout, AMP kinase is activated, and th- that's why we tend to be more hungry after our, our workouts. And we know that uh, there's an antipsychotic drug called Zyprexa. It's a atypical antipsychotic, and it boosts AMP kinase activity in the brain, uh, making people gain weight. So I just went on a rant about. The, how AMP kinase does a bunch of positive effects, but I, I said here that AMP kinase with Cyprexa act activates in the brain. So, what I'm trying to get at is we need to decrease AMP kinase in our brain, but increase its activity in the rest of the body. So, remember, this is an enzyme present in all our cells. So, what we want to do here for ideal weight control, we'd like Id- ideally to suppress the activity of AMP kinase in the brain. ramp it up throughout the rest of our bodies, which is exactly how uh, uh, nicotine actually works this way. So he kind of goes into this transition of nicotine. And we know smoking cigarettes may be one of the worst things you can do for your body, but it's also one of the most reliable ways to lose weight. And he puts here that randomized double-blind placebo-controlled studies show that nicotine reduces appetite and caloric intake. And at the same time, fat biopsies taken from smokers show more than 5 times the ANP kinase activation compared to fat taken from the non-smokers. Again, it's suppressing our ANP kinase in our brain but increasing it in our peripheral tissues, which is what we want. So the question is, is there any way to get the weight loss benefit of smoking without having to worry about the whole you know, dying of lung cancer thing? Well there is because tobacco, remember, is a member of the nightshade family. And I actually didn't know this. Fun fact, tobacco is, an, is a member of the nightshade family, which are other vegetables like uh, tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants, and, and uh, bell peppers. And they all contain nicotine as well. This is something I didn't know, but t- other nightshade family members also contain nicotine. And another another side fact is that uh, there's, there's a protective effect from Parkinson's with nicotine. So smoking can actually prevent smoking and eating these nightshades can actually protect against Parkinson's. Um, but it, the question is, is there enough to tweak AMP kinase activation? So he talks about a study here that s- states green pepper juice does have an anti-obesity effect on mice, and sweet pepper extract was shown to have an appetite suppressing and abdominal fat. Reducing effect on human subjects, so maybe uh, there's a potential benefit of eating these nightshades to increase AMP kinase activation peripherally and act on the same way as tobacco without you know dying of cancer, lung cancer specifically. Um, now, are there other ways to activate AMP kinase? Yes, so another molecule that has been shown to activate AMP kinase besides nicotine and the nightshades is berberine which can be found in bar, uh, barberries. And purified berberine, which is the purported active ingredient in barberries, has been shown to successfully induce weight loss in randomized control studies. And diabetics randomized to drink about a cup of barberry juice each day for two months, lost about six pounds more than those in the control group. So if you're looking for ways to activate AMPKines, kinase, you can exercise, you can fast you can take metformin you can do tobacco not don't do tobacco but eat more nightshades and also eat berberine now another way to activate AMP kinase is taking vinegar so vinegar 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 I never understood why people took these morning vinegar shots but they may have some method to their madness so he puts here acetic is derived from the Latin word acetum, meaning vinegar by definition, vinegar is just a dilute solution of acetic acid in water. And the acetic acid is absorbed and metabolized with ATP, and we get natural a kinase boost. And researchers in Japan performed a randomized, double-blind placebo-controlled trial on the effects of vinegar intake on the reduction of body fat in 155 overweight men and women. And the subjects were randomly split into three different groups, a, high vin- a high-dose vinegar group, a low-dose vinegar group, and a placebo group. And by the end of the first month, there was already a significant drop in the weight in both the high-dose and the low-dose do- low groups compared to the placebo. So this is showing us that weight loss can potentially be uh, attenuated or helped with in, with vinegar, taking you know these morning shots of vinegar or putting them on your salad. And during a three-month trial compared to the placebo, placebo group, The group taking one daily tablespoon of vinegar steadily lost about a pound a month, and the group taking two tablespoons were down a total of about five pounds. And five pounds may not actually sound like a lot, but that weight loss was achieved for just pennies a day, without removing anything from their diets. And and another important aspect is that the vinegar group also got slimmer, losing about an inch off their waist uh, compared to the placebo group, suggesting that they were actually burning abdominal fat. And we know the importance of dropping our visceral fat. Fat is inflammatory. Fat uh, can cause a lot of systemic problems, especially the the visceral fat. So he puts here visceral fat is the killer fat, which is what the placebo group was was putting on. And both vinegar groups, however, experienced a drop in this visceral fat. And removing about a square inch off the CT scan, they took a CT scan uh, slice um, of their bodies, and they're seeing they're losing visceral fat. And I'm gonna give you one more tip to activate ANP kinase with a food and that food is yacon syrup so what happens with this yacon syrup is it contains high amounts of fructans which our bacteria eats in our gut and it makes acetic acid so I just mentioned about vinegar now this high fructans when our bacteria digest it it makes acetic acid which again is can directly activate a and kinase. And he puts another study here, a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial was performed to see if treating our flora to this yacon syrup would help with weight loss, and the results seemed too good to be true. Obese individual ra- individuals randomized to just about four t- teaspoons of yokon syrup a day for 120 days lost nearly four inches off their waist and more than 30 pounds whereas those on the placebo syrup gained weight. So again, one more time, this is Yacon, Y-A-C-O-N, syrup. I've never heard of this before, but apparently it can activate AMP kinase. Now, I just wanted to summarize one more time how to activate AMP kinase. So I mentioned exercise and fasting, eat more nightshades like tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, and potatoes, eat barberries, add vinegar to things, and finally, add this yolk on syrup to things as well. So that is the end of this AMP kinase section. I talked about weighing yourself, I talked about AMP kinase. Now this next section, section is gonna be about appetite suppression. So we're gonna go into different molecules that may h- help with appetite suppression. Chia seeds and flax seeds both help with appetite suppression. And so does cumin. So cumin is the second most popular spice on Earth after black pepper, and a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled pitted cumin versus placebo versus the a drug called Orlistat, which is the obesity drug. Now the cumin appeared to work as well as this Orlistat obesity drug, and both beat and both drugs, both Orlistat and cumin beat out the placebo, uh, but only by a few pounds over. Uh, This 8 week trial An overweight woman Different overweight women were randomized to eat Calorically restricted weight loss diets With or without a tablespoon of added cumin a day And over a 3 month study Those in the cumin group Lost about 4 more pounds And nearly an extra inch off their waist In addition to significantly Dropping their triglycerides and cholesterol So again cumin Add cumin to your diet Now the next spice you can add to your diet is saffron. And when put to the test in a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled group, saffron was found to lead to a significant weight loss, 5 pounds more than the placebo and nearly an inch off the waist in 8 weeks. And the suspected ingredient in saffron that is doing this is crocin, which is the pigment in saffron that accounts for its color, its crimson color. And this also leads to weight loss beating up the placebo by about two pounds and half an inch off their waist. And the mechanism appears to be appetite suppression. So cumin, saffron, flax seeds those are the big takeaways of, of this section. And I really wanted to focus a lot on the chronobiology section because I went over a whole three podcast of Dr. Sachin Panda's Circadian Code book. And there I talked a lot about chronobiology, but I thought it was so important that I wanted to talk about it again in this book as well. And we kind of begin with that question, like, is breakfast really the most important meal of the day and how meals affect metabolism and whether you should eat all your meals throughout the day, eat one big meal, skip or not to skip intermittent fast there's so much controversy these days about diet and what to eat when to eat and how much to eat and I wanted to start with to skip or not to skip this section in this book so I'm sure you've heard the saying that breakfast is the most important meal of the day now do you know where exactly this came from it came from this man named Edward Bernays who is the so-called the father of public relations, infamous for his, quote, torches of freedom campaign to get women to start smoking back in the 1920s. Um, and this man was actually paid by pork companies to design and popularize the emblematic bacon and eggs breakfast. So this whole time, the most important meal of the day was really just an, a saying or a slogan to get people to, eat more bacon and eggs This is he was paid by a pork company to come up with this saying so they would sell more so I thought that was an interesting fact um, but as it turns out uh, although this was sort of a malintent saying it's actually it actually turned out to be very true if you listen to uh, my circadian code book and the importance of eating breakfast and stop eating late at night and I'm going to go more into depth in that right now So, in the Office official Academy Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics position paper on the effectiveness treatment for obesity, importance is placed on both the quantity and the timing of caloric intake. And they put here that, quote, "...potentially consuming more energy earlier in the day rather than later in the day can assist with weight management." Now, what evidence do we have to back up these claims? Will middle-aged men and women who eat a greater share of their daily calories in the morning do seem to gain less weight over time. And a study entitled, quote, Timing of Food Intake Predicts Weight Loss Effectiveness found that dieters who who are eating their main meal earlier in the day seem to steadily lose more weight than d- those eating their meal at a later time. So is there this relationship between when people eat most of their calories and how many calories they end up eating over the entire day? Uh, with those eating... Um, a greater portion of the meal, eating sort of less overall. Uh, so this is the question we're we're trying to answer here. So it is just a matter of later eating, uh, it, later eating to a greater e- eating, he puts here. Uh, kind of a tongue twister, later eating leading to a gr- greater eating. And we know everything comes down to timing. Uh, I remember S- Sachin Panda saying, timing is the magic. And... I'm going to go over some list of experiments. He puts here that in the first set of experiments, army researchers had to people eat a single meal a day, either within an hour of waking or after 12 hours of waking. So they had just one meal either as a breakfast or dinner. Now the breakfast only group lost about two pounds a week compared to the dinner group. And as with the night eating restriction study, uh, this is to be expected given that people tend to be hungrier in the evening. And the same experiment was repeated. So the army scientist repeated the experiment, but this time had the participants eat the exact same 2,000 calories for either breakfast or dinner. So in the first study, they didn't uh, monitor how much calories they were eating. But in the second study, they ate the same amount of calories, 2,000, either in the breakfast or in the dinner time. Same number of calories. So you would expect the same change in weight, right? No, the breakfast group only... The breakfast group still lost about two pounds a week compared to the dinner-only group. And again, this moves on to another important section, which is called king prince Popper model. And this is the model that Dr. Greger talks about. The king prince Popper model is the idea that your largest meal should be in the morning. You should be eating like a king in the morning. The majority of your calories should be in the morning. Prince, this is your medium-sized meal, uh, not as much as your breakfast, and a little bit more than your dinner. And popper, which is dinner, is your least amount of calories. So late in the day, you should be eating the least amount of calories. And Israeli researchers randomized overweight and o- obese women into one of two isocaloric groups, meaning each group was given the same, same number of total calories. One group was given a 700-calorie breakfast, a 500-calorie lunch, and a 200-calorie dinner. And the other group was given the opposite. So the other group had the most calories at nighttime. And the group who ate the most at breakfast lost more than twice as much weight as their group eating the most at the dinner meal. In addition to slimming two extra inches off their waist, by the end of the 12-week study, the king prince Popper group lost 19 pounds compared to only eating only to lost by only sorry the King Prince popper group lost 19 pounds compared to only eight lost by the popper Prince King group despite eating the same number of calories so what is it showing us um, eat more breakfast eat eat all your meal early in the day and you'll lose more weight solely on when you eat the food so why does calories eating in the morning seem to be less fattening than calories eating in the evening and one reason is that more calories are burnt off in the morning due to uh, diet-induced thermogenesis which is the amount of energy the body takes to digest and process a meal and when people are given the same exact meal in the morning afternoon and night their body uses up up about 25 percent more calories to process the meal in the afternoon than at night and about 50 percent more calories to digest in the morning. So if we're digesting more in the morning and uh, 50% more calories in the morning, that leaves fewer net calories in the morning to be stored as fat. And why do we burn more calories eating a morning meal? Uh, Again, it it comes down to the idea of chronobiology. So people, in another study, people were randomized to eat identical meals at 8 a.m. versus 8 p.m. while under a simulated night shift or day shift. And regardless of activity or sleeping cycle, the calories burned while processing the morning meal were 50% higher than the evening meals. So again, the difference is chronobiology. Now, how does, and now, another question is, how does it make sense for our bodies to race through calories in the morning when we have the whole day ahead of us? And he puts here this theory that perhaps our bodies aren't so much wasting calories as much as investing them. So when we eat in the morning, our bodies kind of bulk up our muscles with this glycogen, which is the uh, storage form of glucose, the primary energy reserve in our body. And by making glycogen, that actually takes energy to do. And in the morning, our bodies expect us to be running around all day. So instead of just burning off breakfast, our body actually continues to burn fat, even though we just ate. So let me say that again. Our bodies in the morning expect us to be up active all all day and instead of just burning off our breakfast we're still tapping into our fat stores while we use breakfast calories to kind of replenish our glycogen levels which were depleted the night you know throughout the nighttime okay and then moving on here we put here that in the morning our muscles are especially sensitive to insulin rapidly pulling blood sugar out of our bloodstreams to build up glycogen stores so this this is the idea that our insulin sensitivity decreases as the age as the day goes on. we're most insulin sensitive in the morning, therefore we should be eating most of our calories in the morning if we want to maintain a healthy blood blood sugar control and He puts here that at night though our muscles become relatively insulin resistant and resist the signal to take up to take an extra blood sugar and he puts here, we're so metabolically crippled at night. That researchers found that eating a bowl of all bran at 8pm Caused as high adds of blood sugar at, as eating Rice Krispies at 8am So one more time We're so metabolically crippled at nighttime That researchers found that eating a bowl of all bran at 8pm Caused a, as, a high, as high a blood sugar spike as eating Rice Krispies at 8am So again, the importance of eating your meal Or even your junk food If you're going to eat junk food, do it earlier in the morning Now, another benefit of eating in the morning is a reduction in your cholesterol levels. So does skipping breakfast lead to higher cholesterol? Um, For example, we know that just within two weeks there was a significant rise in bad LDL cholesterol in those randomized to skip breakfast. So again, eat your breakfast if you have a chance. And remember that the Israeli study, the 700, 500, 200 calorie study, found that the triglycerides of the king prince popper group got significantly better uh you know in their LDL levels meaning that they dropped a lot 60 60 points while those in the popper prince king group got significantly worse actually rising in rising or increasing their LDL so there's three important things that I wanted to bring back in this chronobiology. the importance of weight loss better blood sugar and lower LDL, and lower heart disease risk when we follow this King-Prince-Pauper model of eating. Now, he goes into more about the the importance of having a good circadian rhythm and how food can often reset our clock, the importance of light exposure. Um, He goes here that uh, light exposure from getting outdoors in the morning correlated to lower body weight so go ahead and get your sunshine in the morning Um, he goes into a lot more studies Um, he goes into some foods that are important for helping in melatonin production and one of the cool uh, fun facts I learned is that cranberries have high amounts of melatonin and the food that has the highest amount of melatonin are pistachios so just two pistachios contain 0.2 milligrams per gram of dietary melatonin so if you're having trouble sleeping and you want to help produce your own melatonin uh, you can get it from eating foods like cranberries and pistachios now it's better to get your melatonin from those sources because there's a lot of problems with melatonin out on the out on the market so some of the big problems of getting melatonin over the counter is that first off Um, it has this anti-gonadal hormone. It's often known as this uh, anti-gonadal hormone because it often reduces the size of sex organs and impairs fertility in lab animals. Secondly, there's a lot of contaminants in melatonin. He puts here that two-thirds of melatonin products tested from health food stores were found to contain unidentified impurities. And the last reason why you shouldn't take over-the-counter melatonin is that given how poorly regulated the supplementary industry is, there's troubling issues with uh, the actual dosing of melatonin. Melatonin supplements are massively overdosed. And he puts here that even just taking 3 milligram dose product levels in the bloodstream can lead to 50 times higher the normal nightly level, which of course can be an obvious safety concern. So get melatonin from... Of course, darkening your room before you go to bed, wear blue light blockers from uh, raw optics or true dark glasses, and also get melatonin from, again, eating things like cranberries and pistachios. And I'm going to leave it off here because I'm already half an hour in, and I wanted to recap one more time on this section. I basically broke it down into four different things weigh yourself, activate AMP kinase, find ways to suppress your appetite. And finally, and finally, chronobiology, the importance of having a good circadian rhythm when it comes to having a good metabolism and overall health. So I'm going to end it off here. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you learned something. Um, I'm going, to get, oh, I'm going to leave my uh, Instagram in the episode description if you want to leave me a review. Uh, hope you enjoyed and make sure you turn in, tune in next week for part two of Dr. Michael Greger's weight loss booster section of how not to diet. Thanks for listening.